The word of God that I would lay on your hearts this morning for your consideration is taken from the book of Genesis, chapter 18, verses 20 to 32. I'm going to skip over a few parts because of the length of the text here. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were fifty righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I, who am but dust and ashes, have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than fifty righteous. Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So he said, If I find there forty-five, I will not destroy it. And Abraham spoke to him yet again and said, Suppose there should be forty found there? So he said, I will not do it for the sake of the forty, and so forth. Finally, we come to, then Abraham said, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. Thus far the word. Dear fellow redeemed in Christ Jesus, who in whose name we offer all of our prayers, this is a story of prayer, the prayer of a righteous man. Prayer is a most basic activity of a spiritual life. Nobody living a Christian life, a life of faith, simply thinks, well, I believe in God, I believe that he's there and I'm here and we don't have a lot to do with each other. We know that our existence is integral and intimately related to another, and we need to reach out. Jesus himself both modeled and taught an active prayer life, as we should have. And yet, if you're like me, you find all kinds of reasons not to pray. But in our text from Genesis, we have a great reason to pray. We are shown that it works. We have a striking example of a man who succeeded in prayer. The backstory: The Lord had come by Abraham's camp with two angels. The wealthy herdsman immediately urges the party to stop and enjoy the hospitality of the camp. In time, it becomes apparent to Abraham who his guest really is. 
And this is at least the third time that the Lord had come, either personally or in a dream, and shared or confirmed his plans with Abraham, namely that he was going to make of Abraham a great nation, that this old childless man and his old childless wife were going to have a descendant. And in fact, the previous time that we know of that the Lord had come to Abraham, he had had Abraham look at the stars of the sky, and he said, count the stars of the sky. And that was an assurance of how great, how many descendants he would have. Now, on that occasion, we are told at the end of the text that Abraham believed God, namely that he would have all these descendants and his great descendant would be a blessing to all the earth. Abraham believed God and God counted it to him for righteousness. That's really important when we go on and think about the, re- the way our text went here. Whatever came of Abraham's conversation with God there, it is all based on the righteousness of faith, not of works. God listened to Abraham, not because Abraham was a holy man, not because God, Abraham was a great negotiator, but because Abraham simply took God at his word in his promise of life and salvation. Abraham is a righteous man, as James says, but so are we all who come before God based on our faith in Jesus as our Savior. The Lord and the two angels were on a fact-finding mission about nearby Sodom and Gomorrah. The people of Sodom, we are told, were very wicked, and a time of judgment had come. The Lord could not let things continue in the course they were. The Lord being God, he obviously knew exactly how things were going down there, but by doing the things the By doing it this way, the way the scripture records it, the justice of God's actions are clear for the human record. As Abraham and the Lord stand watching the two angels travel towards Sodom, Abraham is concerned. He doesn't argue with God about God's judgment on the evil, But he hates to see the righteous lumped in together with the wicked. He hates to see them suffer the fate that the wicked would. So he prays. Maybe we think that it was easy for Abraham. I mean, he had gods literally standing right there. He could look him face to face and offer his requests and have that interchange that we hear. But at the heart of things, remember, this is no different than if you or I are deeply burdened, we're scared about something, we're troubled about something, there's, there's something that we just can't let go and we need it to do something with it. And so we have the option of reaching out to the Almighty God and the confidence He will hear us. 
Abraham prayed, we pray, or we should. Abraham, in this case, interceded for Sodom, arguing that, that if there were 50 righteous souls in this miserable metropolis, wouldn't it be better to leave the city be for the sake of the 50 rather than to destroy the righteous with the wicked? And what I want you to note here is how Abraham reminds God of God's primary quality of graciousness and mercy. Okay? Abraham held God held God's feet to the fire and said, "This is who you are. You're the God of grace and love and mercy. Please remember the righteous in that city." So keep that in mind. When you're praying, you can hold God to what you know he is and what he wants to be known as. Don't be afraid. Abraham's prayer was successful. God agreed to exactly what Abraham asked. He would pass over the actions of the wicked to preserve the few righteous. But Abraham, even at this point of success, has deep uncertainties about how things were really going to turn out there. Well, he thinks or says, if you'll save the city for the 50 righteous, wouldn't it be just as fair if there were only 45 righteous? And then the threshold he brings down to 40, and then 30, and then 20. Finally, would God save the city for even 10 righteous souls? To all of this, God agreed. So what is the point for us here? I'll tell you what it's not. It's not the cynical idea that says, well, if you're going to go to God, start high and dicker with him until you get down to where you really wanted to be in the first place. That's not what's going on here. I think the message for us here is that even in the face of God's promises and assurances, our faith, like Abraham's, wavers, stumbles. We need constant reassurance. We can have a yes answer from God one day, and the next day we're still, oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So he says, come back to me. Come again. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. In fact, if I remember right, it's been a while, but... I believe the Greek teachers will say the real translation is keep on asking, be asking, and it will be given to you. Knock, keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. Don't ever be afraid that because you've asked for something before, you aren't allowed to come back and ask again. Nor should we ever be tripped up on the idea that we could ever ask too much of the Lord. The last point here is that having laid out his plea before the Lord, Abraham was satisfied that he was heard and that God would do what is right. They went their ways. The Lord went on to do 
and attend to his divine business, whatever that would turn out to be. And Abraham went back to Sarah and their camp to live out their hope in God's promises and faithfulness. And he was content. And that's exactly how we should live. When the troubles come, when the concerns burden us, when, when the darkness creeps in, it is our place to wrestle with the Almighty, to contend with Him and say, like Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. But then having that blessing in hand, knowing that God is in control, go on with our daily tasks, whatever the Lord has laid out for us to do for the day, and let the, the Almighty ruler of the universe worry about all the rest of it. We know the outcome of the story, of course. Not even ten souls answered the call of the angels to flee the city. The Lord, in his wisdom, and in the protection of his promise of a Savior to come, saw that the proper solution was to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's prayer worked. Maybe not in the way that from a human point of view we'd expect it to work, but it worked by drawing Abraham in nearer to God's covenant of peace. May our prayer lights come alive as we remember Jesus' enduring promises and love. In his name, amen. We also have been asked speaking of prayer, to offer this prayer um, for the inhabitants of Florida who are currently threatened by Hurricane Ian. We pray. Heavenly Father, you are the ruler of wind and wave. We confess that we have offended you by our sin and justly deserved your punishment. But we pray instead for your mercy and forbearance for the sake of your innocent Son, who suffered and died in our place. Forgive us for Jesus' sake. We also pray this morning that you would turn away the fierce storm that currently threatens the Gulf Coast of Florida. Spare the people there from the devastating effects such a storm can bring. Comfort and protect especially our brothers and sisters in the faith, the CLC members who live in Cape Coral, Fort Myers, Live Oak, Tampa Bay, Winter Haven, Orlando, and neighboring areas. Keep them safe and provide all their needs. Comfort them with the promise, your promise, to be with them always and to deliver them from every trial. We ask this and all things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And we conclude our devotion this morning by singing hymn 457, 457.